I was very fortunate in the fact that the Lord blessed me with the inability to sing. Because if you, you've probably, probably show that used to come on a long time ago called Behind the Music, where it would, it would, it would show an artist who, when they were struggling to make it, you know, they, the band was all together and everybody was mutually supported. They got a little bit of fame and it went to their heads and they all end up destroying their lives. And then sometimes they make it through and sometimes they don't. I feel certain that if I could carry a bucket, excuse me, carry a tune in a bucket, that I would have already destroyed my life in trying to, to sing for people. If you want to follow along, and I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start there, and then we'll look uh, at another section of, of Scripture in the same book, but chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the second half of verse 5, where we'll be starting. What we're going to be talking about today is the, the congregation's role in affirming church leadership. The congregation's role in affirming church leadership. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, latter part of verse 5. says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we spend the next little bit of time looking into your word, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us by your spirit to, to see and to understand, uh, for hearts to be illuminated uh, by what is here, by what Paul is referring to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we consider together uh, as a congregation uh, the role, our role, in affirming church leadership. And we ask this in Christ's name who gave himself for the church. Amen. So you might consider this to be a little bit of, a, of an addendum or a postscript to Pastor Van's recent uh, series on elders and eldership. Uh, in that, just to do a quick review, because it was, it was before Easter that he did this, we've covered the necessity of elders, that, that elders or shepherds are God's method uh, for caring for his sheep. That's the way that God determined that it would be the best way to care for his sheep, would be to have uh, elders or shepherds in the church whose job it would be to oversee them and to care for them and nurture them. That New Testament churches were led by a team of elders, uh, so it's not just one one person doing everything, but it's a team doing things together. And that uh, the eldership is perpetuated or new elders are brought in by existing elders. So new elders are ordained and recognized and trained by existing elders. And also in that series, he covered the, the qualification, individual qualifications to be looked for. Uh, character, you know, looking for someone who is spiritually mature. Uh, are they competent? Are they able to shepherd? That's usually looked at as are they able to shepherd their own families? Well, and then calling. Is this a spirit-given motivation? Or what are they uh, seeking this for? Why, what, where's their heart at? What way is it directed? But in this, we need to also consider that congregations have a hand in recognizing and establishing elders. And I, I base this on the fact that Jesus said of himself that he is the good shepherd. And Peter echoed that and said that he is the chief shepherd. And Jesus said of himself, my sheep know my voice. And so I believe that the congregation can recognize genuine upper shep- under shepherds. 
So if, if the leaders of a church are they themselves being shepherded by Christ, then Christ's voice that the sheep recognize should be echoed through the leadership. So if you hear a leader who is speaking in a way that doesn't echo and match up to what Jesus says and does, then you can say, well, maybe he's not a shepherd. Maybe he's something else. Maybe he's a, a hired hand or something. But if you hear the voice of the Savior that you recognize being echoed uh, in the words of the under-shepherd, the elders, then you can recognize that, that they is, that is a godly man. And so we're looking for, as a congregation, we'll be looking for shepherds who themselves are being shepherded by Christ. And so I say this in the context, for those of you who may not know, that you know, um, my wife and I, Carla, will be um, moving to Colorado Springs um, probably within a month to six weeks. And uh, so I know when, when Van started his uh, sermon series in leadership, he just had some trepidation there because he felt like, you know, maybe this wasn't what people would be looking for. People don't necessarily want to know or learn about this. He got some positive feedback. But then also, like, to me, it seems that, that teaching on leadership can be difficult because as a leader, it can appear self-serving. Uh, it's like, you know, the same pressure that pap- pastors feel when they preach on money. Um, the assumption is, is that, well, you want, of course, you want people to give to the church because that's how you get paid. So it's, it appears self-serving. But since I'm a, I'm a short-timer now, um, I feel like that I, I can teach on this with, with, with a, um, a freedom that maybe I wouldn't have because it's, it's not, what I'm going to tell you, it's not going to impact me, uh, but it's going to be for the elders who are still here and for future elders who come on. Paul talks about this in the verse that we read, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And we're going to use this one sentence here as a framework to talk about this for a little bit, and then we'll look in some more specifics when we get into chapter 2. So he's saying, you evaluated our ministry, and you know us, and you can attest to the genuineness of our ministry. He was there among them for a while, uh, established the church, had to leave, came back through, established elders, and he was talking to the congregation, and he was saying, you can testify and you can affirm and recognize the kind of leaders that we were among you. And so he was saying, saying, you can give evidence of how we prove to be, and we'll look at how they prove to be in a little bit later. So this tells me that the congregation's role is one of evaluation and an attestation to the genuineness of a man's ministry. And this would include both existing and potential elders. So you, you will be, and have, you have and will be providing continued affirmation, or perhaps not, of those already serving. And you're going to be responding to the ministry of the, those who may become elders. So, so you as a congregation are, the, um, are the, the body that will give assent or withhold assent to leadership in this church. And so it's up to you to understand and to know and to think about and to be aware of exactly what kind of person you're going to be looking for. What kind of man is going to prove to be in you and among you. So that's kind of what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at the discernment, testing, and context of the congregational role in affirming church leadership. So we'll take discernment first, the discernment. What, what kind of men? So we have people have their, they have the kind of cars that they like, the kind of, the kind of food that they eat, uh, they have the kind of tools that they prefer. I made a big mistake uh, early on. I bought some cobalt tools. If you guys buy tools and you know cobalt tools are that, they have that distinctive blue. Uh, now I, every tool I buy has to be a cobalt tool so it'll match. Uh, 
So that's, that's the kind of tool that I like, kind that match. But for you, you're going to be discerning what kind of men. So the con- congregation, you as a congregation, should be able to recognize a godly man. You should be able to have a feel for someone by observing them and experiencing their ministry. And you should be able to have confidence and generate and be, by observing them and experiencing them, gain confidence in their character. And so when we talk about you should be able to do this, you will only be able to do this if you understand the biblical traits of a godly leader. And that's what we're going to be looking at, looking at a little more specific in a bit. So you need to, when someone is brought to you, or if you're coming here and, and, and you say, this is the leadership, one of the things in your mind you need to be thinking of is what kind of man is this? What kind of man are they bringing to put on the, the elder board? What kind of uh, many, you know, years down the road from now, what kind of man are they bringing in to be the, 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 uh, the teaching elder of this congregation? Be thinking along those lines. It's my, my job, speaking as a, as a congregational member, it would be my job to be about the business of discerning trying to discern what kind of leaders are being presented to me and then affirming that leadership or withholding affirmation of that leadership if you think it's not, if what we're going to be looking at is not there. Answering the question, what kind of man is this? And is he the kind who can shepherd? So that's the discernment part. What kind of men are we looking for? And the testing is we proved to be. The discernment and the testing we proved to be. So the congregation should be able to discern, and we discern by testing. And, we, and, and people prove to be genuine. You test something to prove that it's genuine. So the congregation should, should be actively evaluating leaders because discernment comes from whether or not a person proves to be genuinely godly. Because somebody can look good at first. This is, this is probably maybe, uh, maybe more true, not so much for our established leaders, but maybe more true for someone who would, who would come in uh, from the outside, perhaps. And, and so, so you begin to look at them, you begin to evaluate them, you begin to watch how they interact with people, and you say, are, are they proving to be the kind of shepherd that this congregation needs? And this will require the uncomfortable task of sometimes making judgments about a person over time. Because, because people can come in and look one way, and then over time, they prove to not maybe not be what the way they appeared at first. Sometimes it's for the better, and sometimes it's for the worse. I've always been of the belief it's better to set people's expectations low, and then, they're, then as they get to know you, they're, they, they, they're, their opinion of you ratchets up rather than come in high and have them ratchet you down. So requiring making judgments and seeing if a person proves to be the kind of man that the congregation, you as a congregation, believes would make a good shepherd. And this comes from observing and experiencing someone's ministry. So, you know, asking questions like, how, do, how does this person handle the authority given to them? How do they handle that? Because uh, not in this church, but in, in uh, another church I attended, um, you could see that, that, that sometimes a person given a, giving authority, it, they didn't use it correctly. They didn't use it appropriately. They assumed it was to serve them and not to serve others. So how does this person handle the authority given to him, and how does he respond to those whom he serves, and how do they in turn respond to him? When you see him interacting with people, uh, do they come away uh, blessed by his ministry, or do they come away uh, the worse off for his ministry? And so that means me watching for signs of sanctification, God's work in this person, because nobody comes in uh, 
with, with flawless and with no room to grow. We all come in as leaders and it's just regular people in the, in the pews as we're growing and learning together. Because the only separation, um, the only real separation from the congregation to the platform as far as, um, it's mainly just one of responsibility. It's like, it's not that up here or where, where we require people to be mature Christians and then everybody else can, can just basically not have to worry about their maturity. It's that uh, we're working together and leaders are given the responsibility to help guide the congregation in that manner. And so basically, uh, there's really not a, a leadership and a congregation in the sense that there's a separation there. But it's just amongst us all, some are given responsibility and, uh, uh, to carry certain things out. And that's where the context is. We had the, the discernment, what kind of man, the testing we proved to be, and the grounds is among you for your sake. Because leaders are in the church uh, for the church's sake, not for their own sake. And the context for an elder or a leader is a particular congregation, a particular group of people. Uh, not a denomination, not a cause, but a gathered people. So the elders here are not, they're not, we're not part of a denomination, but we're, they're not here to deserve a denominational cause or any other cause. They're here to serve the gathered uh, people of Calvary Christian Center. They are among you, in and with you as a gathered people, a fellowship, a sharing of life, a communion together. So if you get the sense that, that leaders are, are separated or separate themselves, they're not in and among you, that's, that's not a good quality. We'll be looking a little closer to that in just a few minutes. So elders are here for a particular congregation. They're here, here for the health and welfare of that congregation. Among you for your sake. Serving the needs of the people that they've been made responsible for. So he should be a benefit to others and not a drain on them. So, so, so leaders, uh, when they come in, they should be a net positive for the congregation and not a net negative for them. Now there's going to, like I said, uh, part of the job of a congregation is to recognize God's work and to foster God's work in leaders because nobody comes in with all the rough edges worn away. Uh, people come in at various levels and need to be grown uh, to a certain point. So you have to be uh, kind and patient and things like that, but you have to be recognizing that, that if, it's, if it's a drain, if it's a drain, then maybe that person is not, uh, not ready for that authority and that responsibility yet. So we're going to look a little more particular at what kind of man. And for that, we need to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And then we'll come back and we'll summarize this under some headings. Paul is calling upon the congregation to remember his ministry, the ministry of Silas and Timothy when they came to them. And as he does this, he says, I want, you need to testify at what we did among you. And so from that, uh, we're going to learn what Paul is holding out as being uh, a good godly ministry. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, but we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So when we begin to answer the question, what kind of man, uh, we notice first off that, that there's, it's not the kind of man who is deceitful, or who is greedy, or who is a flatterer, or who seeks glory for himself. So there's some aspect, negative aspects to look, say, well, we don't want anybody like that. Or you can understand why we, you wouldn't want someone deceitful, greedy, or who flatters people. By the way, you all look so good this morning. But rather those who, who, uh, who are not, but who are their kind. So now we're going to look at the positive. Uh, the kind of man who seeks to please God and not people. The kind of man who seeks to please God and not people. And this should be, you should be able to determine this by watching a person's ministry. Uh, because he is being conformed in the image of Christ. So you take Christ as the model. You take the leader who is supposed to be being conformed in the image of Christ. So we looked at what Jesus said. He said in John 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So if Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, then Christians in general, that should be our, one of our main drives, is to do God's will to accomplish his work. And so for a, for a leader, to, and we'll see in a few minutes, leaders to set an example. So for a leader, uh, we're looking for the kind of man who seeks to please God, has a deep desire to yield to God's will, as found in the scriptures, just to please God. He says to please God and not people. You know, when Paul was describing, he says, you know, we seek to please God and to not uh, please people. So, so you're looking for a man who, who, who serves God and who serves the people of God without letting the people of God become his master. So this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Uh, we are to be servants to one another, and as a, a, a leader, the leader is supposed to set the example, as Jesus set the example for his followers, his disciples. And he says, I'm le- I leave you this example to follow when he washed their feet. It's there, there to serve one another. But how do, you, how do you be a servant to someone and, not, and keep the balance where that person doesn't become your master? Because people are not our master. God is our master. And so uh, one, one, one way I think that looks is that uh, a person serves people without letting them become his master, when he's not motivated by fear of negative opinion. Because there's going to be times when you have to do and say things that may not be popular as a leader. But if you are concerned uh, that, um, that people are not going to think well of you, then you're going to try to do everything to please people. And that's like having a, not, not just one bad master, but a bunch of bad masters. Because I, the, one of the phrases I use for myself is that... Is that um, why, why would I follow Jesus as my master? Because I don't think there's no other human being is fit to be my master, not even myself. Only Jesus Christ is fit to be someone else's master. So not being motivated by fear of negative opinion and being able to keep his identity in Christ separate from his ministry. Because ministry, um, it has its ups and downs. It has its seasons of, of glory and its seasons of trial. And we all know this in our own lives and as a congregation together 
uh, it, it fluctuates. And so if, if a person's identity in Christ is set aside and a leader's identity is tied to um, his perceived um, uh, level of, of what's going on in the congregation, then, then that's not going to be good because he's going to be thinking things like, um, okay, we need, to, we need to shake things up here. We need to do things that's going to, that's going to somehow give people a jolt or, or bring people in. And, and, uh, and, and you can get down rabbit holes where you do things to just fill up the pews and you're not really interested in the maturity of the people who are there. You just feel good because you can say our church was full. I mean, you get pastors together. Uh, they, are, they are no different than other people in that sense because uh, we've gone to some conferences. And uh, we're introducing ourselves. And inevitably, uh, somebody, will, somebody will say, uh, what size church do you pastor? It, you know, ultimately that really doesn't matter. It's how good of a job are you, are you doing? How faithful are you being with the people that you've been given responsibility for? And we'll all find out, all, all church leaders will find out when we get to heaven have to give an answer that we all, we all had enough. We, you know, we don't really need to desire more. We've had, we've had enough that we'll have to give an answer for no matter what size our congregation is. So, not, so looking for someone who, who is not run by negative opinion to desire to curry favor with people and not, doesn't tie his identity in with the perceived uh, level that the church is at because there are going to be times when we're, when we're required to serve through hard times. And if, and if you tie your identity to that, then you're, you're going to be dealing with somebody who's going to be up one day and down the next. So our, our life in Christ, who we are in Christ, has to be separated from, from our ministry. And that, that goes for, you know, elders, other leaders in the church, down to how, however you serve the, the body. So the kind of who seeks to please God and not people, and the kind of man who shares his life affectionately. Uh, Paul uses the image here of, of a nursing mother and her gentleness. And can you, can you think of a more tender uh, picture of a mother uh, feeding her child? This, this, this image of self-giving and being willing to forego her own needs. Because, you know, uh, now I, I have a stepson. don't have any, uh, any children of my own other than him. Uh, but um, I've got a grandson. And... So, so when he was just first born, he was, uh, he was uh, premature. And so a lot of his feeding had to be done uh, through, a, through a feeding tube at first. But in and, in and through all that, he, he, my, my daughter-in-law, his mother, was doing everything that she could humanly do to ensure that he had what he needed from her to make that happen. And so that's the way nursing mothers are. They give up their sleep. Uh, they wake up at all hours of the night when, when the baby's hungry. Uh, many times it's kind of like, you know, I've heard uh, on more than one, one occasion uh, a, a young mother say, I haven't had a bath for three days uh, because they just can't get that period because it's either, it's either sleep, dirty diapers, or nursing. So this idea of, the, of tender care of the most vulnerable and most needy. So if you want to gauge, if you want a, a yardstick to gauge uh, your leaders by, one element of that should be, how do they do with people in the congregation who are the most needy and the most vulnerable? Do they have time for those people? Do they not have time for those people? Do they curry favor with uh, the people who seem to be movers and shakers? Or do they ha- also have time for those who are vulnerable, who need tender care that costs them something? So a genuine affection and concern that's demonstrated for those in his care. And Paul captures that image by saying, 
we were like a nursing mother. We were gentle with you. We weren't harsh with you. We were, we were encouraging to you. We were trying to nurture you and build you up. So one who does not hold himself apart from others' lives. Now, you know, time for confession, being by nature an introvert, uh, I, I apologize for the times that I have failed to be as open uh, and ha- as involved with you as a congregation as I probably should have been, as I know I should have been. Uh, so someone who does not withhold himself from others' lives and, and, and someone who opens his own life to them as well. So the next trait is the kind of man who provides a godly example. Paul uses terms like holy, righteous, blameless, but don't see those as saying somebody's got to come in and they've got to be perfect. Uh, because what do holy, righteous, and blameless do from a New Testament standpoint? Those are people who, who confess and repent. Those are people who admit their weaknesses. There are people who, who say, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this. People who model the fear of the Lord in prayer. Um, so, so a righteous person is one who is God-centered, God-devoted, uh, one who, who, who is pursuing Christ. And so someone who does that knows that the Bible says, confess your sins, repent of your sins. And so they do, they model that. The power of example is sufficient for others who want to live a godly life. And what I mean by that is, is that New Testament leaders, we don't find anywhere in the New Testament where New Testament leaders have, have coercive power over the congregation. What I mean by coercive power is that, is that they can't come up and say, did you read your Bible every day this week? And you say, well, no, I missed today. Okay, that'll, that'll be a fine of $20. Uh, if you don't pay up, we're going to lock you in the baptismal room for, for, uh, uh, for, for two days. It's like the New Testament are given power of example. You need to be an example. And, and I think that that's, that's just logically true. If we just assume for a minute that true believers, one of the marks of a true believer is they want to follow Jesus Christ. And they want to, they want to, they want to pursue that. We want to pursue holiness and godliness. Then all a person like that needs, no matter where they're coming in, no matter what level they're at, all they really need is to be pointed in the right direction. They don't have to be goaded to that direction they might need to be urged, we'll see that in a minute, but they don't have to be, be pushed or prodded or poked or somehow their arms twisted to get in that direction because a shepherd leads the sheep and they, you lead a sheep, the sheep by being a positive, godly example. So someone who provides a godly example. I heard this story uh, of a, a guy who was giving a tour. He's a tour guide director in Israel. And so he had a busload of people and he was driving along through the countryside and he was talking talk, talk, telling them about sheep and that sort of thing. He said, the shepherd is always at the head of the flock of sheep, and he's always leading his sheep where they want to go because Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, and another's voice they will not follow. And about that time, they come over a hill, and there was a guy with four or five sheep, and he had some sticks, and he was behind the sheep, and he was driving them where he wanted them to go. He was whipping them, getting them to go where they wanted to go, and everybody started saying, what's going on over there? So the guy, he stopped, had the bus stop. He got out. He walked, went over to the, the guy who was driving the sheep, and he talked to him for a few minutes, came back, he says, he, was, he wasn't the shepherd, he was the butcher. Because a shepherd does not drive the sheep, a shepherd leads the sheep, and, and New Testament leaders lead primarily by example. So the kind who provides a godly example. But also the kind who exhorts the congregation to godliness. And Paul uses here the image of a father with his children. A father giving guidance to his children, giving the appropriate motivation for obedience. Not, not a fear Fear God's going God's to whack you on the head if you don't obey, but, but giving the proper motivation for obedience. You have been given so much. 
follow Christ as, and, and serve him as he has served us by dying for us. So not domineering, but giving clear expectations. And, uh, you know, fathers many times know their children and they know what kind of motivation they need. They know that with some it can be just a gentle um, urging and, and others it might be a little, have to be a little more challenging. It's like my dad knew me that I was passive by nature. So when we were on the job, sometimes he would, he would tease me a little bit to get me a little bit mad because he knew I had to have a little bit of anger to, to kind of get over my hump of my natural passivity. And so he would motivate me in that way. But he didn't do it in a, in a harsh way at all. So the kind who exhorts the congregation to godliness. And there's public and private uh, avenues and spheres where this takes place, this exhortation takes place. Some of it takes place like this, from a pulpit. But sometimes it's one-on-one urging to live a life of obedience to Christ. When there's a particular need that's known, going to that one and saying, saying I've noticed that, um, that this has changed in your life. Can you tell me what's going on? I want to help you get back on track. I want to help you get back to the kind of, of, of pursuit of Christ that you once had. And so it's ultimately a speaking the truth in love that he's pointing to. Not shying away from speaking the truth, but having earned a hearing through genuine love. And so that reflects back on the balance of the, the nurturing mother and of the, uh, the encouraging father. Because, you know, for guys, you know, women have to deal with the fact that, that the Bible says that all believers are sons of God. Uh, but guys have to deal with the fact that, that the church is described as the bride of Christ. And so it's not gender-oriented, it's role-oriented. And it's the same way here. It's like a leader may say, well, if I have to be like a nursing mother, I don't, I don't want to be, a, that's, not my, that's not who I am. But it's balanced by being an encouraging father because he's showing traits to look for. Uh, is this person really, does, it, does this person really have a care and a genuine affection for the people that he serves or not? Does he? Does he genuinely love the people that he's with or not? And in that, uh, by, by serving them in that way, when they get the sense that he really does care about them, then he, he's going to have, his words will have weight with their consciences. Speaking the truth in love. And then to kind of round the corner to bring us, uh, bring us to a close in a few minutes, my encouragement would to you be, as, as you do this, as you uh, look in the future to affirm or the kind of person that will be added to the leadership here, that these be the categories that you look for, you know, and you, and you discern this over time by testing as he is among you. Does this person seek to please God, not people, share his life affectionately, provides a godly example, and exhorts the congregation to holiness? If, if a person comes in and they, in general, this is the kind of man they are. You found the kind of man. Not that he doesn't need to grow, uh, not that he doesn't have areas that he can improve, but if he, in general, fits this, and so you affirm him as a leader here. And I'm talking about not just any kind of recent or any kind of, you know, short-term thing. I'm talking about this is just something to carry with you for the rest of the time that you are a believer, whether in this congregation or another congregation. If you find that person, you'll be led well. And then if you are led well, then follow well. If you're led well, then follow well. And do your part to recognize and affirm godly leaders. And that takes a couple different avenues. One uh, it's prayer, praying for God to raise up leaders for this congregation and praying to God for the leaders who are leading this congregation. Pray for the kind of men who will prove to be, who will turn out and test out to be genuine shepherds, giving themselves to the health and welfare of this church. So not only do you pray, but you also be patient. 
Be patient with young leaders who are learning and growing, who are making, trying to make strides in these categories that we looked at. So it's, so it's, so it's a little different from the direct um, qualifications that were talked about in, in Pastor Van's um, sermon series on that. Uh, this is more looking for what disposition does this person have in and among the people he will be serving. And so be patient with young leaders who are learning and growing. And, and that just means being, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, and, I, and I would suggest do, do your best to be the kind of person that's just hard, hard to offend. The kind of person that's hard to offend. Uh, because uh, from, from, this, from, from, from this side of things, when because I've been, I've been serving in one capacity or another for 20, 20 years. Um, in in this con- in and among this congregation, and there's been a handful of times when I have found out that I have somehow offended someone and hurt their feelings, and or did did or done something that that didn't sit well with them, and I found ab- out about it at a time when I could do nothing to to remedy. I couldn't go apologize because they had left the church, and, I, and them leaving the church, the instance that I'm thinking of. May or may, I don't know how much what I did tied into them deciding to, to go look for another church. They hadn't been here very long. They weren't members. But I found out later that, and, and it was completely, uh, I'll, I'll just, I won't give the details of names, but I'll share. share. You may have noticed if you, that on Sunday mornings, if you catch me walking across the lobby, I'm probably just, I'm a beeline for somewhere. And if, you'll, if you say hi to me, I'll say hi, but I'm, but I'm not stopping to shake everybody's hand, and I, I apologize for that. But I've usually got something I've got to do, and that's my, my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, so I was going somewhere doing something. This is when we were over at the old church, and, and this man stopped me and asked me a question. And I, I stopped, and I, and I answered his question, and then I went on. And then sometime later, I don't even really remember how, how much longer it was. They had already gone, and... Uh, Somebody told me, he said, you know, uh, they shared with me and said that uh, they stopped and asked you a question and said, you looked at them like they had lobsters crawling out of their ears. And, uh, and I said, well, I said, I didn't, int- I didn't intend to give that impression. I was just, I had something on my mind. I was trying to shift gears. But I would have loved to have had the opportunity to apologize for that. But they didn't give me the opportunity. Whether that led to them leaving, I, I, I don't know. I hope, I hope I wasn't part of that. Uh, but I may very well have been. Um, but if so, I so I so I would ask you as people, as that they're going inevitably, people who are leaders are going to do and say things usually without much forethought. Like there are times when you make an offhand comment uh, from the pulpit, or you may say or do something in a joking manner, and you have zero intention of of offending people, but you may do that anyway. I may do that anyway, and uh, if that's the case. Uh, if you want to love your leader, then at least at least give them the opportunity to make it right, uh, just as you would like to have the opportunity to make it right if you knew somebody had something against you. So be patient with young leaders who are learning and growing. Uh, and be hard to offend. And then, lastly, be willing to follow and to cooperate with godly leaders. We, we, are, we here at Calvary Christian Center are probably, I would say, within the 10% range of, of churches that experience longevity in their leadership. You talk to most churches, and they have turnover 
if their pastor lasts five years or six years, or if their main leadership stay, stays steady, that's considered a pretty good run. Uh, some churches change leaders like most people change their socks. And uh, so the fact that we've had steady, consistent leadership here, both with our pastor and then in general with the elder board for over two decades uh, is a pretty unique thing in the Christian world. And so I would encourage you as, as, congreg- as a congregation, uh, just simply because we are people and things change in our lives, like for me, changing so that I need to, need to move, um, you know, Pastor Van will be not, not anytime soon, but in the next uh, six years or so, at some point, we'll be considering uh, retirement. Uh, one, of your, one of your main tasks as a church is going to be to help uh, recognize godly leadership, support the leaders that are here, support new leaders that come on, so that the, the, the uh, peace and stability that we've been able to know gets carried over to the next generation. I mean, one of the things that's kept me up uh, sometimes at night, thinking about this because you hear about it all the time, is that churches who've had a, they've had a, a long history of stable leadership when because of various reasons that leadership moves off the scene, it puts that church into a cycle of inconsistency and, and, uh, and causes that church to sometimes struggle. And the last thing that I want for Calvary Christian Center is to be a, what you might call a one-generation church. We don't want the next generation of people who come here, your children, your grandchildren, and other people who will come in to have to experience uh, a lot of turmoil and turnover in the leadership because that's unhealthy for a church. You, there's, there's a couple signs that there's unhealth in a church. One is if you see a lot of turnover in the, the teaching elder position, the pastoral position. If the pastor is leaving every uh, 12 months or so, 12 to 18 months, that's a sign of, of, that there's something wrong in that church. If you see the next um, rung down, the next layer of leaders, if you see a lot of turnover at that layer, that means there's probably something unhealthy going on. And if you, the third thing is if you visit a church and you come back six months later and, and half the church is turned over and, and half of it is new people, probably something unhealthy there. We don't want that for Calvary Christian Center. And one of the ways that we do that is for you to be able to recognize and affirm godly leadership and then once you have that, be willing to follow and cooperate with those godly leaders because they are among you for your sake. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, the writer tells us that, that um, if, you, if you make the job of your leaders hard, it's of no benefit to you. And so what that means is, is that um, I, I regretted using this example in the early service, but it's the only one I can think of, so I'll have to do it again. When you go to the dentist, when you go to the dentist, and you have to have some work done on your teeth, it's to your benefit to cooperate with the dentist. Because if you fight against the dentist, if you move around in the chair, if you struggle and you pull back, it makes his job harder, and in turn, there's just much more of a chance that you're going to get hurt in the process. So that's a bad, bad analogy of, uh, of if, you, if you have leaders who are pointing you in the right direction, but you fight against that, it's like being in the dentist chair fighting against the dentist. It's only going to bring more pain to you in the long run. So if you have godly leaders, follow them. So instead of leaving you with the image of uh, the dentist chair, let's think again of the nursing mother and how gentle and quiet that picture looks. If you'll stand with me, what we're going to do is I'm going to do a... Uh,
just a prayer for what we've covered, and then we'll, you'll see on the overhead uh, our normal closing prayer. We'll do that. If, uh, if anybody needs prayer, uh, once we're concluded, if you want to come forward, we'll, uh, I'll ask uh, some of our elders uh, to, to kind of hang out, hang out up here for just a minute to, uh, to pray. And if you're, if you're any other leader, if you're a um, you know, Sunday school teacher or you lead one of the gospel life groups, uh, feel free to come forward too. And we'll just, uh, if, if, so if somebody needs that, there'll be some folks available. So let's, let's bow our heads. We'll pray over um, what we've talked about, and then we'll pray together um, ascending. Heavenly Father, we are definitely uh, grateful for uh, the leaders that you've blessed us with. Lord, I have benefited so much uh, from our pastor and from the elders that I have served with uh, over the years, Lord, and the, uh, the other, the volunteer leaders, the people who, who come and do the ministry that they've been given, and they set an example of consistency and godliness in all aspects, from the top to the bottom, from, from those who serve in the nursery, Lord God, to our Sunday school teachers, to those who take care of all the behind-the-scenes things, to our safety team, uh, Lord God, all those who serve in any capacity uh, are serving as leaders in that people are watching them and reacting to their ministry. So, Lord, what we said about elders is true for all leaders, people who love and serve the congregation that they are in and among. So we're thankful for the leaders, and we pray, Lord God, and ask that you help us, Lord, uh, now and in the years to come, that you send us people, Lord God, that we can look at, we can evaluate, we can be confident in their character, that you have sent them to us to serve this congregation and serve them well. And Lord, may we respond uh, with willing submission to follow the lead as they follow Christ. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the overhead, you'll see our sending prayer. What this, what this time is meant is we, you know, we come at the beginning, we have our call to worship where we're gathered together, we get everybody in one, one mind, we're here to worship the Lord. And we come together and we do that. And then the Lord speaks to us through his word. And so now we're going to be, we're going to be scattered again. We're going to be sent back out. And so what we want to do is to pray and ask that as we are sent out, that the things that we experience here, we carry into the world around us. So let's pray this together. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and all secrets are laid bare, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.